So Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. This is what Paul writes. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, nor did I receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Is the defense ready? Yes, Your Honor. Isn't there something about courtroom dramas? I mean, a good one is just something about the courtroom dramas, and we watch them, and something is just, just captivating about watching this courtroom drama, right? Movie about it or series, and I don't know, I've just always been fascinated by them. But nothing compares to Perry Mason. Nothing compares to Perry Mason. And oh, I think his name was Berger, right? The, 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 the prosecuting attorney that, that he had. That guy should have just quit. Anytime Perry Mason showed up in the courtroom, it was over. It was done. But man, weren't those shows so well written? It's the drama. The drama plays out. Now, I doubt very seriously. I'm not a lawyer. Haven't been in courtrooms like that. But I doubt very seriously in real life it plays out like that in court. I mean, that was TV. And man, was it good TV though, right? The drama of it all. But you, you know how it usually goes. Is the defense ready? Yes, Your Honor. Usually, you know, there's been opening statements. Although sometimes the defense can say, we postpone our opening statement until we get ready to put on our case. But... Next, what happens in, in this, after the opening statement, is there's the presentation of evidence based on what you're trying to prove, right, in, in your defense. So, so there's an opening statement. This is my defense, and then there's usually evidence that's given in order to prove your points. And then you begin to call witnesses, right? We, we've seen this and kind of understand how it goes. You're establishing facts, Here's the facts. I'm going to establish these facts. Here's the evidence for these facts. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, all the way down through chapter 2, verse 14, Paul starts his defense. This is his defense to the Galatians, before the Galatians. From Paul's defense and the content of the letter, as we continue to walk through this letter, from his defense and the content of the letter, we can sort of piece together what he's defending himself from. Now, there's nowhere in the letter where it says, now here's a list of grievances against you, Paul. Number one, number two, number three. It's not that. It's not like there's been a prosecution case presented. The prosecutor has presented their case. We piece it together and we understand not only from this defense in Galatians, but from some other places. Some other places like Philippians chapter 3 where there's a defense that Paul gives to the Philippians. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 and 12. There's a defense given to the Corinthians. There's some similarities there. And we can piece together information from other letters and try to discern, okay, what is it that Paul's defending himself against? We've already seen some of this in this letter as we've opened this letter. 
But we can piece together the charges. One charge would have been something like this. Paul's not really an apostle. He's not really an apostle. I mean, look at him. The guy doesn't look like an apostle. Do apostles look like that? Yeah, sure, he can write good. But he can't speak. And look at him. He's weak looking. Come on, no prophet looked like that. So, probably the attack along the lines, well, he's he's really not an apostle. Or, or at best, he, he's sort of a self-appointed apostle. He appointed himself. He's running around preaching some message that's disrupting things, and he doesn't really understand. And the second thing is, not only was it an attack on him that we've already seen. You remember the first part of this letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who were with me. Then he talks about grace to you and peace. He talks about Christ delivering us from our sins from, the pre- from, from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Christ died for our sins. So, so the next attack that he has to defend is, would, be, would have been against the message. It's the message. Ah, Paul's really not an apostle or at best he's self-appointed. He's running around doing his own thing. And, and his message, listen, his message is all wrong. He's got some things right, but he's basically all wrong. See, Paul's not talking anything about circumcision. Paul's not preaching Jesus and circumcision, and Paul's not preaching Jesus and law-keeping. He's going against the Old Testament. He's going against Moses. He's going against the law. You people don't need to listen to this man. He's got it all wrong. He's got it all wrong. So that was probably another uh, attack on him. So the messenger, the message, and as I mentioned as we opened this letter, the same lines of attack that happened today, right? I mean, if you want to get at somebody, you attack their character, and then you attack what they're saying. You tear them down. You tear them to shreds. And then you tear to shreds anything that they've said. And you silence them. It's a political tactic. It's been going on forever, right? You just silence them. Well, Paul's fighting this, but it's not a political attack. It's an attack on him, but not necessarily just on him. It's an attack on the gospel. Now, his opening statement, if this were like a courtroom, all right, is the defense ready? Yes, Your Honor. And let's say that the defense decided to give its opening statement at this point. And so the defense stands up. And the opening statement, you could look at verse 10, which, as we mentioned, is a clear transition here. To his defense, this might be like his opening statement. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a slave of Christ. So that might be in a sense like his opening statement. I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not out there trying to please men. I'm not out there trying to come up with wishy-washy messages and just please people. If I were doing that, would I be Christ's slave? No, I am Christ's slave. If I'm his slave, I'm preaching his message. So that might serve sort of as an opening statement. So, the accusation, too, could be be coming from verse 10. Why, yeah, Paul's a man-pleaser. He is. He's a man-pleaser. He's preaching an easy, non-offensive message. He's not upsetting too many people. And uh, he's, just, he's, he's keeping out this circumcision and law-keeping because he doesn't want to upset people. And he's just preaching Jesus. And he's just talking about things like that. And so it's, it's this misleading. He's misleading Gentiles. He's misled some of the Jews. But then Paul comes right out of the gate and he says, no, in his defense, he begins to present his facts. Is the defense ready? Yes, Your Honor. You may present your case. Okay, here we go. Here we go. And as we've already seen in this letter, Paul comes out guns blazing. There's no pleasantries. There's no, hey, how you doing? How are things going? How's the family? He comes right out of the gate and says, I cannot believe that you are so easy and so quickly throwing off the true gospel and going after another gospel. Which, by the way, there's really not another one. That's what he's astonished about. And he comes right out of the gate uh, with uh, guns blazing. Now, understand too, this is not just an attack on Paul. This is an attack on the gospel. This is why he's so upset. This is why he's so, so, so adamant about what he's trying to get across to the Galatians. 
So what he does is he presents facts. So in his defense, his defense really breaks down into three sections. The first set of facts we'll look at today. That's the first set of facts. And his first set of facts are this. My message did not come from man. It came from Christ. Then you're going to see beginning in verse 12, or or chapter 2, verse 1, you're going to see a second set of facts that runs down through about verse 10. The second set of facts are this. My message is the same as the apostles in Jerusalem. We're not preaching different messages. And then at the end of his defense, he's going to do something pretty pretty brave for him because what he's going to do is is at the end of his defense, down through chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, he's going to to say, "You, you know Peter? You like Peter? You say he's an apostle, right? Well, guess what? My message has been consistent even to the point where I had to oppose Peter. So this is his defense. These are the three sets of facts that he's going to present here. So the first set of facts that he presents is my message is from Christ. It's not from man. He's already opened up with this. Now, here's another question we've got to answer, though. Because why bother? I mean, come on, Paul. Why get so agitated? Why get so upset about this stuff? Why bother about this? Well, again, it's not just an attack on Paul. It's an attack on the gospel. And I can just imagine if some, some people today are saying things like this, why get so upset? Why get so worked up about the gospel? What's the big deal about the gospel, Right? I mean, come on, just stick to practical things. Man, just stick to practical things. You know, help us us to be better parents. Help us to be better this. Help us to be better that. Help us to be better bosses or better employees. Or just just stick to these things that that aren't so offensive and they're they're, they're non-divisive. I mean, what's the big deal about this? Well, the big deal is Paul made it a big deal. And Paul made it a big deal in God's Word. And so if it's in God's Word, God's making a big deal of it. And God's saying, you you cannot tamper with this. Because if you do and you lose this, you lose the church. You lose the church. We're not trying to decide what color a carpet to put in the worship place. We're not. I mean, at the end of the day, who cares? We're, we're, we're trying to defend a message that's being preached in the worship place. And that is serious. You know, Jude said something along these lines. Jude said, as he opens his letter, he says, listen, here's the thing. I really wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I really wanted to write. I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty here and say that maybe we could read something into that, given today's climate, of Jude saying something like this. I really wanted to be practical and just help you manage your money. I really wanted to be practical and just help you be a good parent. I really wanted to be practical and help you how to understand how to deal with a bad boss. Those things have their place. But then Jude says, I really wanted to do this. But here's the problem. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. We haven't noticed them. They've come into the church, and now what are they doing? And by the way, Jude says, these certain people that have crept in, they've been designated for this condemnation from the beginning. And then he goes through and he just spends his whole time in that letter talking about the false teachers that have come in and what they're doing. And he calls them things, just like Paul calls them things, like in Philippians 3 when he calls them dogs, mutilators, and so forth. So I get Jude, I get that. I get the pull and the tension and the pressure just to say, why keep defending this? I'm eager to do some other things. But you know what? Certain people have crept in. And the gospel's under attack. It's under attack. And the church is in trouble in some places. Because the church is just about to throw off the gospel. It's just about to throw off the gospel. 
And it's time for straight talk. And that's what Paul's doing in, in this letter with the Galatians. So Paul understood an attack on him was an attack on the gospel. And lose it? Lose the church. It's got to be defended. Well, in the first fact presented by Paul that his message is from Christ, not from man, there's three pieces of key evidence that he's going to give supporting this first fact. So picture the defense attorney standing up, giving his case, and he says, you know, fact number one, and then he's going to give three pieces of evidence. Now, verse, again, verse 10 is probably the transition into this. If you look at the book overall, again, chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 14, that's his defense. Then you pick up in chapter 2, verse, 14, uh, verse 15, all the way to the end of chapter 4, Paul gets into the theology of all this. And we're going to learn a great deal more about what's happening in the Galatian churches when we get to that. But before he gets to the theology, he defends himself. And then he gets to the theology of the gospel, which they're tied together. They're inseparable. And then the last thing he's going to do, beginning in chapter 5, is he's going to get very practical then. He's going to say, okay, based on this, this is what you need to be doing. It's the way Paul writes his letters. Now, here he goes with his defense. First, piece, first fact that he presents. And it has to do with the fact that Christ is the one who gave him this message. Alright? So what's his first piece of evidence? His first piece of evidence is the message itself. Look at what he does in verse 11. He says, For I would have you to know, brothers, I would have you to know, I want you to understand this. I want, I want to make this clear. I want to make this very clear to you. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me that's not man's gospel. It's not man's gospel. So I want, you to, I want to be very clear about this. I have been preaching a gospel. And he's going to get in a little bit of the chronology of his calling, his conversion and calling, okay, in a little bit. But he says, this, 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 this gospel that I've been preaching, look, you see, it's not man's gospel. It didn't come from man. It wasn't given to me by man. And notice this, he says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Man didn't teach me this. Man didn't invent this message. Man did not come up with this message. And, and when you look at this, when he says not, not's emphatic. It's put it first in the sentence. Not. That's his emphasis here. It is not according to man. Now again, hint, that may be one of the accusations against Paul. Now Paul's just preaching man's message. You know, Paul probably went up to that Jerusalem bunch and they probably told him to preach circumcision and law keeping and he's out here, he's changed their message. He's changed their message. This, is, this may have been one of the accusations that, that was thrown against him. F.F. Bruce said, look, when he, say, when he makes a statement like this, he says what Paul is saying is not a product of man. It's not a product of his own reasoning. It doesn't come from man's intellect. He says, in other words, what it means is that the gospel message is not of this world. It's otherworldly. Now wrap your head around that one. It's otherworldly. But he says, how did he get it then? If it's not of this world, then how did he get it? Well, he says, he tells it. He says, I, I wasn't taught it. I didn't receive it, man. I wasn't taught it by man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It came by revelation of Christ. Now, we, we have to look at that revelation of Christ. Is, is, is the revelation, is it that Christ was revealed to him? Or is it what he's saying that this revelation of the message itself came from Christ? It doesn't matter. Either way, it's Christ. What was revealed to him on, in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road? Wasn't it Christ? It was a revelation of Christ. Christ appears to him. The resurrected Christ appeared to Paul. Right? Right there. Blinded him. Spoke to him. Paul's saying it's not a man. I wasn't taught it. It's a revelation by Christ. In other words, he's speaking about a personal relationship here. He's not talking about, you know, being, being some 
some relationship separated from him. He's speaking about person. When Christ revealed himself to him and made this revelation to him, he's speaking about, this is personal language. And it's going to get even more personal in just a little bit. Think about Peter. You remember when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Ah, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're Elijah, some say this, some say that. But no, 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 who do you say that I am? You remember Peter speaks up? Ah, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Savior we've been waiting on. You're the one the Old Testament's been pointing to. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Talking about how blessed are you, Peter? And then you remember what he said? Flesh and blood. You remember this? Flesh and blood didn't tell you this. How did he get it? It was a revelation from God. That's how Peter came to understand Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. Peter didn't go to the leading school of the day and go compare what he was seeing and hearing from Jesus compared with the best teachers of the day and then figured out and one day sitting in class went, Voila! I got it! Now he was with Christ, didn't understand much of anything. And God, by His grace, revealed Christ to Peter. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the way it happens. That's exactly what Paul's saying. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. This came by revelation of Christ. So, first piece of evidence. The first piece of evidence is the message itself. Where did the message come from? It didn't come from this world. It didn't originate in this world. It came from the very mind of God. And it was revealed. And Paul says it was revealed to me. Personally, it was revealed to me. It's a revelation of Christ. Now, here comes the second piece of evidence. Notice this in verse uh, 13. He says, For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. The second piece of evidence is the messenger. So, the message, now the messenger. And what he's going to do first is talk about his pre-conversion. He's going to talk about his former life. Now, let's be careful here. Because I need to say this. Paul is not glorifying his sin. Have you ever heard testimonies when people stand up and they spend 25 minutes glorifying their sin? Oh, you don't know how bad I was. Let me tell you how bad I was. Man, I was so bad, my mother hated me. I was so bad. Man, I was wanted by every law enforcement in the world. I was so bad. You, you've heard testimonies like this, right? And they go on and on, and they glorify their sin. And then they spend about five minutes on Christ. Then Jesus saved me. Jesus saved me. Oh, yeah? How? Well, He just saved me. But I was bad. Man, let me tell you how bad I was. I've heard these testimonies and I've wanted to interrupt them and say, then why did you change? If you're glorying in what you used to be, why did you ever come to Christ? Because you're more proud of that than you are of Christ. Ah, side note. Just be careful. When you give testimony, give glory to Christ. Don't glorify your sin. Paul's not glorifying his sin here. But he has to point this out because they've heard of this. They heard of it. So he's dealing with it. And you've heard of my former life in Judaism. You heard what I used to be. You know what I used to be. You've heard these reports. And notice what he says. Part of what you heard about me was, was that uh, how I persecuted the church of God violently. Literally, it means to excess. I persecuted the church to excess exceedingly. I persecuted. I was not half-hearted in this. This wasn't a part-time job for me. I went after Christians and I went after the church and we read in Acts where he was doing this. Right? He was doing this. Even to the point when Stephen is stoned. Who's standing there? It's Paul, isn't he? Because where did they put their coats? Where did they put their, their, their garments? They put them at his feet. And he's arresting Christians. And he says... Men and women. That's what, he, that's what Paul says when he's talking about this in Acts. So he did it to excess. It's beyond measure. This word in Romans chapter 7, verse 13, Paul talks about his sinfulness and he says, man, I was exceedingly sinful. Beyond measure sinful. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, the same word, 
he, he uses where he says, you remember right there at the end of chapter 12 before he gets to the love chapter, and he says, now, I want to show you a more excellent way. It's the same word. Excess. That's what he's saying. I went after it violently. It's a good word. It's a good translation of the word. I went after the church violently. And I was trying to destroy it. I was ravaging it. This is what I was doing. And, and the language of ravaging, destroying, is in perfect tense. Meaning that this was something he was continually doing in the past. He didn't just join in every once in a while. This is what he was doing. He's going after the church, ravaging it, laying waste to it, trying to destroy it. We'll see it again in verse 23 when they says, you know what they were hearing? They used to hear I was trying to destroy this faith. I was persecuting the church of God, ravaging it. And notice what else he says. He says, and you know what? I was at the head of my class. When it came to this kind of stuff, nobody was better than me. I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my, of my, uh, many of my own age, among my own people, among my contemporaries. There was nobody like me. I was advancing to the head of the class. People saw me coming. They thought, yeah, there comes man. You want to learn how to persecute Christians? You better go see Paul. You better go see him. He, he, can, he can do it. He can show you how. And then he says, so ex extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Man, I was, I was so zealous for these traditions. It's this word tradition that's not used in good light, especially in the Gospels. And Jesus, Jesus will tell the Pharisees, man, you, you hang on to your father. You hang on to the traditions of your father. And you've missed the law. You've missed the Gospel. So this was not a good thing. These traditions, these oral traditions that were added as guards, fence rails, or fence guardy, uh, fences around the law to keep people from sinning. This, this was not good at all. But Paul says, man, I was zealous for this kind of stuff. Now keep in mind, again, he's not glorifying his sin. This is what they heard about him, and he's just saying it was true. It was true. This is what I used to do. This is what I was like. Philippians chapter 3, in that defense, he says, man, Hebrew of Hebrews. Hebrew of Hebrews. And this education that he was receiving and being a good Jew like this and defending, he thought he was defending the faith. He thought he was doing God's will. He had been educated at the feet of Gamaliel, the leading teacher, Acts chapter 22. He thought that he was doing God's will and he thought that Judaism was under attack by these, this offshoot, this upstart group of people. And this Jesus thing. I don't think Paul was sadistic. I don't think he was getting his kicks by violence. I think at the time, he was so committed to his Judaism, he was so committed to the law, that he would have fought tooth and nail to defend it because in his mind, he's defending God. But then something happens. So you heard what I used to be, right? This is how it used to be for me. Verse 15, you see this? But when He... This is like Ephesians, but God. So testimony. I, I was sinful. I was, I was very sinful. I was sinful. I'm not proud of it at all. None of it. I don't glory in any of that. I wouldn't go back to any of that. Any of it, for no amount of money. But God. God saved me. Now Paul's going to talk about his calling. But as we'll see, his calling and his conversion happened at the same time. But in his defense here, he's not so much training his focus on his conversion. That's not his, that's not his focal point. His focal point is his calling as an apostle. All right? So this is what he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. This becomes very important for this reason. He's picking up language from the Old Testament. He's picking up language from Isaiah chapter 49. 
where Isaiah talks about the servant of God, who Isaiah identifies as Israel, and Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah identifies this servant as being set apart from the mother's womb. Now, more specifically, he's picking up Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, when Jeremiah is very clearly speaking of himself, says, God separated me from my mother's womb. Separated me. Called me as a prophet. Now why is this important in his defense? Because remember, the Galatians mainly were Gentiles. They were mainly pagan converts. Why would he identify himself? And I think this is exactly what he's doing. Why would he identify himself in the Old Testament prophetic tradition? You see, I think it's squarely what he's doing. By picking up this language, the Gentile converts may be thinking, I don't know, what's that? Okay, that's pretty neat. But I tell you what, his Jewish agitators would have known exactly what he was connecting himself to. I'm standing in the prophetic tradition in which God called his prophets. And God's called me. That would have been sort of like, I could just imagine the agitators going, whoa. Did he? He didn't. Yeah, he just did compare himself to Jeremiah. Yeah, he did. So, he's talking about his calling. All right. Some have made the connection with this with Ephesians 1, where Paul is talking there about being, being called, being, being predestined, being from the foundation of the world. That's not it. That, that's where he's dealing with conversion. That's not his focus here. That's there. It's there, but it's not what his focus is here. His focus here is his calling. And so, God separated me. He had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace. It was by His grace. I love what Luther said. Luther said God didn't call Him because He was so great in His Judaism. God didn't call Him because He was such a dirty, rotten sinner. God called Him simply by His grace alone. That was it. That's why God called Him. It had nothing to do with Him. It was by His grace. And then He says He was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Now here's another place where it becomes very personal because the preposition to, it's actually the preposition in. He revealed His Son in me. It's not like it's just to me, like, like I came to this. It was in me. This is personal. This is who I am. This is what He did in me. Now, in His calling, this is what He's saying. But I will say this, and I will make this point, that when you come to Christ, and when you turn to the Gospel, and you turn from your sin to Christ, and put your faith and trust in Christ, He does something in you. He changes your heart. He does something in you. And it's personal. It's personal. You just don't join a group. God changes you. The gospel changes you. But he says that he revealed his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is the result. So God calls him, and what does he do? He goes to the Gentiles. We'll, get, we'll see more of this later. And then he says this. But he says what happened next was I did, not go up, I, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Why is he mentioning this? It's because this is a point that he's trying to make. I did not immediately go to Jerusalem. Those apostles before me, probably the twelve I didn't get saved, get converted, get commissioned, and jump straight away and go to Jerusalem. This is one of the key points of his defense. This message came from God. This message was not taught to me by man. And one of the accusations may have been, well, Paul went to Jerusalem, they told him what to preach, and he's out there changing it. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to Jerusalem. That's not what happened immediately. I didn't consult with anyone. When we read Acts chapter 9, and we see Luke's account of his conversion, and Luke, Luke's account of his movements after that, we do see, and he's going to say, yeah, eventually I do go to Jerusalem, but not right away. And we see that in Acts. 
Some have tried to say drive a wedge between Luke and Acts and Paul and Galatians. Well, they're, they're saying two different things. Paul's not mentioning this and Luke mentions this and Paul did Listen, if you were to write the account of some experience in my life from a distance and you were to write about that and you may have certain emphasis that you would write about a period of my life, right? You may put some things in there that if I were asked, hey, you give a defense of this and my point may be to make this point, I may not mention this. You might, but I might not. Does that mean it's false? Does that mean they're contradicting each other? No, not at all. It's just two different accounts. That's all it is. They're not contradicting each other. Don't let people say they're driving a wedge between Luke and Paul here. It's not. Paul's point is, I didn't go to Jerusalem. And there's a reason why I didn't go to Jerusalem. The reason why I didn't go to Jerusalem right away is because Christ taught me. That's why. I didn't need their stamp of approval. I didn't need their stamp of approval. So he's revealed his son. This is what happens after... I didn't go to Jerusalem, to those who were apostles before me. But then he says, you know, I went away into Arabia. Now, why did he go to Arabia? We're not told. We're not told. Luke doesn't tell us this? Nothing. We're not told. Some have speculated he went into Arabia to be by himself. You know what was in Arabia? Mount Sinai was in Arabia. Some have, some have speculated he went to Mount Sinai. He went alone to be alone with God. Some have speculated he went to the very place where Moses and Elijah communed with God. We don't know. He doesn't say. Very well could have been. Others have said, well, from what we do know from Luke, straight away he's preaching the gospel. So he had to go to Arabia to preach the gospel. He may have done both. He may have gone to get away. He may have gone to be by himself. And while he's, he's preaching the gospel, who knows? We're just not told why he went there. But the point that he's making is, I did not go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to Jerusalem. Then we get to the third piece of evidence. So, first piece of evidence, the message. The second piece of evidence, the messenger. I didn't get this message from Christ. God called me. That's who called me. And then you get to this third piece of evidence, and it, it actually occurs at the end of the chapter. And it's this glorifying God business that happens. But here's what he does to get there. Verse 18. Then, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. You see that? Three years. He finally goes to Jerusalem. Now we're going to see a visit beginning in chapter 2 where he goes to Jerusalem. Alright? We'll have more to say about that visit. But then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Why did I go? I went to visit Caiaphas. I went to visit Peter. I wanted to go see Peter. I wanted to go interview Peter. Now there's no indication here that he's saying, I went and Peter taught me. That does not fit his defense. He's just saying, I went to see Peter. We were talking Wednesday night about this, and I said, could you imagine 15 days he's there with Peter? And James, he says, oh, by the way, I did see James, the Lord's brother. Now the other apostles may have been out. By this time, they're scattered. They might not have been there. But now in this next meeting that we read in chapter 2, they're there. They, they, they have a big council meeting. And I, I, I thought, Wednesday night we were talking, I said, wouldn't it be great just to, have been, to be able to hear this conversation? And I asked the question, I wonder what Paul's first question to Peter was. I just thought, you know, maybe Peter, maybe Paul says, hey, look, man, did you really deny him three times? Did you really do that? I don't know. It, it, I, I said Wednesday night, in my mind, it probably centers around the resurrection of Christ. You saw him? Yeah, I saw him. So did I. So did I. He called you? Yeah, He called me. Guess what? He called me. Could you imagine that kind of communion between Paul and Peter? He saved you? He revealed His Son in you? Yeah, you know, He told me flesh and blood didn't reveal this to me. But the Father in Heaven revealed it to me. Could you imagine Paul going... He revealed it in me too. That must have been something. Now later on, they're going to be at odds. But right now, I, I would think there's no indication here that they were at odds. It's just like, hey, these two apostles are getting together. They're getting together. And James happened to be there, he says. 
And then he says this, it's interesting in verse 20, he says, And when I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. I'm not lying. Maybe another accusation. Paul's a liar. He had to go to Jerusalem. He had to go to Jerusalem. I'm not lying to you. I didn't go to Jerusalem. But now three years later, I did go, and I did see Peter, and I did see, by the way, I did see James. No, 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 he's lying. He had to see all of them. They all had to sit him down and say, this is what you're to teach. No, 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 that's not what happened. I'm not lying to you. He says this three other times in the New Testament. He says it in Romans chapter 9 where he's talking about the Jews and the conversion of the Jews. He says, I'm not lying. He says it in his defense in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not lying. He says it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. I am not lying about me. It had to have been a constant thorn in the flesh. These people followed him around and said he's not an apostle, he's a liar. Because he mentions it several times. So do the Galatians. I'm telling you, I'm not lying. And then he says, verse 21, Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They still didn't know me, although they probably heard these reports, because verse 23, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute the church is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. This is my reputation. When I went to places, in fact, Luke says when he did go to Jerusalem, it was Barnabas who had to get him and take him and say, this guy's okay. Because Luke says they were scared to death of him in Jerusalem. This is what they were hearing. They didn't know me. They didn't know me at all. All they knew is that, hey, this cat that used to persecute and kill and do and all this stuff, now he's preaching this faith he once tried to destroy. What's up with that? And keep in mind, there are all kinds of false teachers running around. How do we know this is real? How do we know this is of God? You see why Paul is so adamant about his defense? The message came from God. God called me. Yeah, I used to do this stuff. But you know what? God saved me and called me. He's put me on a new path. He's put me on a new path. And then here it comes. And they glorified God because of me. I think that is his third piece of evidence. I think the first piece of evidence is the message. The second piece of evidence is the, is the messenger himself. And I think the third piece of evidence, sort of the, sort of the, the key uh, linchpin of this first fact argument that he's making, is they were glorifying God because of me. Not because of Paul, but because of what God had done through him. It's almost as a backhanded way of saying to the Galatians, you want to join the agitators? They're not glorifying God because of me. But you know what? Other churches and other places are glorifying God because of me. You want to throw that off and join the agitators? Timothy George says that basically what he's saying is, I was not an embarrassment to them. But I'm in danger of becoming an embarrassment to you. I think that's the linchpin to his argument. If this was not God's work, and what I was doing would not be leading people to then glorify God for what's happening. If it were a work of man and a man's message, then what people would do is glorify man, not God. That's exactly what you see today. When the, when the gospel's being tampered with and being threatened and, and attacked, and what ends up happening is man gets glorified, not God. Not God. I don't want to preach a message that leads you to glorify man. I want to preach a message that leads you to look at God and say, my gosh, what a great God we have. And to see Christ and say, what a great Savior we have. What a great Savior we have. So, first fact. I'm not a man pleaser. First fact in support of this, the origin of his Paul's message came from Christ. This is God. God revealed this. God called me. God's the one being glorified. You see, it's all of God here. It's not of Paul, it's of God. That's what it is. So why the fuss? Why bother with this? I tell you why, because truth matters. The gospel matters. It matters. 
We need to be saved from our sins, right? We need to be saved from the wrath of God, right? That's our greatest need. That's what we need. We need that. But there's only one gospel. There's only one Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one gospel in Christ. You tamper with that, then we have no salvation. We have no salvation. So what if we fill this church full of social justice warriors and miss Christ? I think Jesus said something to the effect, you've made them twice the sons of hell. That's what you've done. No, come to Christ and then we'll understand justice. Right? Then we'll understand justice. Let me say this as I close because here's another reason why this matters and it's sort of an indirect argument that I'll make. As we fight for the gospel and I I hope I don't have to convince you we'll we'll see more of this in in the letter but I I hope I don't have to convince you that the gospel's under attack right now. It is. It's under attack. But as we fight and defend and try to recover the gospel. There's an indirect reason for doing this, okay? It also forces us to look at our own soul. And what I mean by that is this. Because as I seek to recover the gospel and defend the gospel and try to understand the gospel and define the gospel through God's word, then I am forced to look at my own heart. I'm forced to look at my soul. And I'm forced to ask the question, what gospel have I believed? Have I believed this gospel Paul's preaching? Or have I believed the one the agitators have come up with here? Again, it will get defined more in the letter. I have two choices. One choice would be this, as I look at it. I really don't have two choices. Let me use Paul's argument. There's only one choice, but yet, this is what some people think. Here's how some people think. Well, I'm saved, and the gospel is Christ plus whatever. Whatever it is. Fill in the blank with whatever. And the reasoning goes something along these lines. It's Christ plus good works. Uh, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not. I know I'm not. I know I still do some things that, that are bad. But I tell you what, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm really not. You should have known me before. Man, I was really bad. But I'm not that anymore. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better whatever. Better boss. Better employee, whatever. And, and, and after all, at the end of the day, I, I'm really not that bad, especially compared to someone else, you know, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. I'm not that. You see the reasoning, though? I mean, I hate to pick on them. It's just too obvious. But you, 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 you follow the reasoning that's going on? It's Christ, and I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as I used to be, and I'm not as bad as some, right? Listen, all I can do is is I just do all I can. I do all I can. I go to church, give money, do this, help where I can. I try to be nice. I try not to cuss as much. I, I, I try not to do this. I try to just be gentle and kind to people, and I, I, I do. I really try to do that. And you know, at the end of the day, then what I really hope is this, is that the grace of God makes up where I fall short. I promise you, that's where most people are right now. Believe the Bible. Believe the gospel. Don't you dare attack the Bible. Don't you dare attack the gospel. We'll fight tooth and nail for the church. But as we're recovering the gospel, we have to look and examine our heart. And I have to ask the question, is that the way I think about the gospel? 
Is that the way I think about Christ? If it is, listen very carefully. You are believing a false gospel that cannot save you. It cannot save you. It is Christ alone. It is grace alone, which again is going to get defined through faith alone, which is going to get defined in Christ alone, which is going to get defined. And what do we see at the end of this first fact? To the glory of God alone. If you're not there, you're not in Christ. If you're not there, you haven't believed the gospel of Christ. And as we recover the gospel, and as we see our need to defend the gospel, the first step may be, you need to believe this gospel. So that what happens is it becomes personal. I don't think that you can adequately defend what's not personal. You may be able to intellectually give arguments, but if it's not personal, then what's going to happen the first time that it really gets hard? You're checking out. If all it is is an intellectual thing with you, the first time it gets tough, you're checking out. And you will abandon the gospel for something easy. But if it's personal, but God, it's personal, and God's done a great work in your heart, you will not let it go. You will not let it go even if they cut your head off. Because I understand in that gospel, what's the worst they can do to me? Kill me. And what are they doing? What are we seeing in that hymn? All it does is hasten me on to my home. That's it. That's all they're doing. So why? Truth matters. The gospel matters. Salvation's at stake. But also, indirectly here, why? I need to examine my heart as we go through this. You need to examine your heart. Am I truly in Christ? If not, turn to Him. Put your faith and trust in Him. He's the one who died, was buried, raised the third day, and all you have to do is turn to Him, and He will save you. He will save you.